0: Welcome to Beyond the 18, a podcast where we talk tactics and break down the biggest games. I'm Patrick Duffy, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, co host Rodrigo Plaza. Listener, uh, we wanted to first take a little bit of time to acknowledge there's been a bit of a gap since our last episode. Um, A couple reasons behind that. I hit kind of a weird mental health patch right around Christmas. And was taking some time off from a lot of things to try to get back on my feet. And with the help of a good therapist, family, lots of great friends like Rodrigo, um, doing much better, feeling a lot more like myself. Um, But that was why I took time off. This has been a hard time, I think, mentally for everyone going through COVID. If you're having a hard time and you're listening, reach out to us, Rodrigo. And I love to talk about this sort of stuff and support other people, particularly you, listener, um, are, are, are one close follower. So, yeah, some some kind of hard time there in between, but really, really happy to be back and talking to Premier League. Rodrigo, I know you were very busy with some other stuff. Uh, so, yeah, what was going on with you?
1: Oh, you know, I... Uh... Well, it was it was it was kind of a, a nice in a way. It was a nice lull for me as well because I think I was also a little bit stretched then at the time. And now mm-hmm. the biggest thing is that uh, you know I not only coaching my teams again. We have a spring uh, season. Although it's we we're still figuring out whether we'll be playing games, but we have a spring season. So I have my teams back uh, in action, which is a lot of fun. Um, but I also am uh, organizing a rec program for our club. Uh, which is my first time running a rec program. But um, I'm very excited about it. So, but it's been a lot of emails, a lot of emails between, you know, me and and people who have questions. So, I've had that going on. And then, on top of all of that, I was struck with a lightning bolt of inspiration and began writing a lot about soccer. So, I'm working right now on a a book of sorts although it's really more like content. I don't know what form it should take. Uh that I'm again looking forward to sharing with folks um when I'm able to get it into some some final form. Um very exciting. So, yeah, all very exciting things. Uh so it was a nice break but in in addition to that, I it's funny enough though, I haven't watched any soccer uh since we last did our episode. Like I really I like actually haven't and there were all these games that I kept thinking, oh, are you gonna watch that? And then I would I would completely forget and I wouldn't watch it. Um, the only game I have seen is the the recent London derby, um, derby if you will, uh, and I haven't uh, I haven't really seen anything else. So I'm pretty out of the loop. Um, I think I watched one Champions League game recently as well, um, but other than that, you know, I haven't haven't kept up to date on the EPL.
0: So, listener, this sets us up really well uh, for our comeback episode, uh, hopefully for some hilarity and um, some great takes. We're going to try to have Rodrigo predict what the table looks like. <laughs> so, he hasn't looked at the table. He has no real context. Like I, like we said, he has not watched any professional games. He's watched a lot of club games for his work. <laughs> but
1: um, Yes, different kind so of So, what
0: we're, we're going to do is he has the table from when we left off, which was... Our, our, our last episode covered matches up through December 21st. So that's what he has in front of him is the table at that point, December 21st, 2020. And we're going to go through the table bottom up, and I'm going to give him the bottom three teams from then, and he's going to try to predict what the bottom three teams are currently. So uh, we'll work our way up in chunks of three until we get to oh, um,
1: inevitably the last two teams. Uh. So... Why did, I, why did I get so excited about this? This is so stressful. All right, here we go. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, all right. yes.
0: the good thing to know is that we have basically never been right on this podcast. So <laughs> it's not like you're breaking a streak. If anything, That's good. That's getting good. you could bat one out of twenty, and and it would be a step up. It would for be us. on brand.
1: It'd be on brand. Honestly, all right. It's good to know. All right. All right. Let's let's do this thing.
0: So when we left off in last place was Sheffield United with two points, nineteenth. West Brom with seven and Fulham in eighteenth with ten. Oh. So I'm boy. curious, Rodrigo, what
1: three teams do you see sitting at the bottom well, of the table right now? First, I gotta say, Sheffield hopefully got a W in that time. I think, you know, I mean I have fragments of, of of you know moments of remembering things. I think they must have gotten a W since then. But I don't think oh I think they've still gotta be in 20th. Sheffield's definitely still down there. West Brom Hmm. Yeah, I think I want to flip West Brom over Fulham. I want to put Fulham one down. I want to flip him with West Brom. But uh, so those are my bottom two. And I think my bottom third. Oh, I'm gonna swap. I'm gonna swap with. Mm. How many points did Newcastle have at this point? 18. Oh my god. Yeah, never mind. and uh, I, I kind of want to I actually want to put Brighton in third. So I want to go Sheffield West Brom Brighton. What am I What am I What I, how do I do?
0: So wait, you, do you go Sheffield West Brom Brighton or Sheffield yes. Fulham Brighton?
1: Oh, sorry. Sheffield Fulham Brighton. My mistake. West Brom out of there.
0: So you're right. Sheffield did get a win. They actually got four wins, 11 Let's losses. Wait. That's they dumb. did sack Chris Wilder, or he left. It's sort of like a weird, I'm not really no. sure what happened. Um, I like big it. thing for, for Sheffield is Sanderberg got hurt, Oliver Berg got hurt. Um, so they are glued to the bottom of the table in 20th. That's rough. In 19th. That's really rough. Mm. Actually, the table is exactly as it was. In 19th is West no. Brom. They started off with only, a
1: trick question, Duffy. This is absurd. I always stand for this. i go ahead. They, they,
0: they've they had two wins, five draws, eight losses in this time. Mm. Um, they've actually looked better over the past few weeks under Sam Allardyce, big Sam. Um, they're just playing the low block and, and basically playing eight at the back. Uh, and then Fulham is in 18th place, but it is really tight with them and the teams that are right above them. Uh, Fulham has had some kind of interesting stretch, 3 wins, 6 draws, 5 losses. They beat Liverpool and they beat Spurs. What? So two huge yeah. wins. Um Ooh, Fulham? Fulham. And Oh my god. I You said right before word. this, you said yeah. that Mario Lemina, the midfielder for Fulham, you were like keep an eye on him. He's yes, been I quality. Did. He's been yeah, class. That was a great call. They just play really hard. They're they're not like a super talented team, but they've been playing hard. Um, but they're still sitting in the relegation zone in 18th.
1: Wow. Well, that, I mean, those, they just, yeah, they sweated out in a couple W's. I honestly got to go back and watch those games. I want to see that. They must've been, they must've been fired up. That's all I got to say. Mario whew
0: Yeah, it's, I will say it is maybe a little bit of a spoiler for some stuff we'll talk about later, but let's go to 17, 16, and 15. So, Last time we left off, Brighton was in seventeenth with twelve, Burnley in sixteenth with thirteen points, and Arsenal was in fifteenth place with fourteen points. So, um, <laughs> those were our next to the the bottom three. That was a sad time, yeah. for uh, Arsenal Football Club.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I can see that. i, can, I you know, the tides the tides are turning. Um, so, okay. So I'm 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 definitely gonna say uh the teams that I thought would might fall later included Newcastle Crystal Palace um I thought both of those teams might fall later on because you know watching watching Newcastle I felt like even though they had some you know attacking prowess and moments it felt like they were very flighty and so I expected them to kind of fall lower as we went on and crystal palace just seemed to have such a lackluster performance like game after game that i was sure that like they would just continue to slip um so i i kind of want to drop them both down there i want to say that the bottom three the next three in 17th i'm going to go burnley then crystal palace and then newcastle or actually sorry then newcastle and then crystal palace
0: so you're going burnley in 17th -hmm. newcastle then crystal palace Yes. You're really close on Newcastle. Newcastle is actually in 17th. They've dropped off a lot.
1: Yeah, uh, I thought they they've would. They've been
0: They've been bad. They've also been hit with injuries. They've only won twice since we left off. Mm. Saint-Maximin and Almirón have both missed a lot of time.
1: Called that shit happening. Yeah, I, I was sure of it. They were just so they were so two-dimensional that way, you know. That those players couldn't perform or they got hurt. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Above them Sitting right above them is currently is... Uh, so wait, that was in 17th place. In yep. 16th place, we have... In 16th place, we have Brighton. So Brighton have won four times, drawn mm. five times, and lost five times. Oof. They beat Liverpool and they beat Spurs as well during this period.
1: But they also lost them. Mm.
0: to West Brom and Crystal Palace. There, if you were to look up like any narrative about... Brighton right now it's that they have the highest expected goals like every single game and lose
1: all the time it's so funny we say that because that's exactly how I felt about them when we left it when we left them because I was like they have really fallen you know really far and I still feel really positive about them and and when I watch them play I I feel like you know they, they really doesn't represent how the games have been going and it's exactly it's exactly the the eye test for me at least checks out. Um, that's tough that they've continued to follow that trend. Cause I like them.
0: Burnley is in 15th, so you were also really close on where Burnley is. They've, yeah. they, they have been trending up recently, though. They've won five, drawn five, lost six. Also beat Liverpool. They also beat Everton. Mm. They just weirdly get dumb goals from teams. It feels <laughs> like teams just make mistakes against them. Chris Wood, the New Zealander, has has bagged himself a few... From some mistakes from notable players along the way, but they're just solid and they're just well coached. And I, I think we had talked about lack of depth being a big concern for them, and not really getting the squad like motivated to move ahead and 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 move in that direction. But honestly, credit to Sean Dych, because it really like it looks like they're going to be safe based on how they're performing and and where they're at on the table now. Wow! So that's a that big, takes a
1: that's big move for them.
0: The big, yeah. And I I think being able to stay up now for... I think this is going to be their fourth consecutive season staying up. It's just huge. The money that the club will continue to get is huge. Uh, We're moving up. So last time we left off, Leeds was in 14th, Crystal Palace in 13th, and Newcastle was in 12th. Mm -hmm. So those were the three next teams that we were looking at. So I'm curious... Who you have going 14, 13, and 12.
1: Yeah. So, um, I want to keep leads in that area. Uh, I... I, I, I looking, looking back, I feel like... I'm not sure what, what happened to Arsenal. That's the big thing. I don't know how well they did. Um, but... In a way, I kind of felt like they were at a breaking point. So it's kind of like to me, if they're not in the, if they're not below where they, if they're not where they were before, then I kind of want to float them a little bit higher. I think I'd put them around tenth if I had to guess. Um, so I'm gonna, ooh, so for fourteen, I'm gonna keep Leeds, and then I'm gonna go uh, what? I'm gonna go West Ham, and then I'm gonna go Wolves. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go Leeds, West Ham, Wolves. Leeds, West
0: Ham, Wolves. Uh, I'm curious about Leeds because I think that's a team that you and I had talked about a lot as being Mm -hmm. like – both of us had early on being pretty hot on them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious about why you put them sort of in this like lower mid-table like hovering around
1: area. Thank you. Thanks. That's a great question. The reason I keep them down there is because I kind of was concerned – that uh, they would performance wise get worked too hard um, by this point in the season. Uh, I know we talked about that a bit last time. We talked about leads that they have a really high. They had a really high work rate, and that might lead to some injuries or at least some some lower perf- you know lower quality performances. Um, I also kind of felt like I I don't know how else to say it. I think I'm just not. I'm not like the. I'm a fan of the way that they play, but not the way that they do it. I don't know how else to say it. So I kind of, I think, also have that bias that I wanted to keep them down. But I was, I was thinking that it might be a performance-related uh, or, like, overwork issue.
0: I think that that is kind of been borne out for them. I think the main thing is, I think in the stretch of time, they've only had two draws. And every other game has been a win or a loss, and it's, like, pretty split. It seems to me, I, I know this is kind of reductionist, but I think with leads, it's almost like they like, go for it all out in a game or they're just like, nah, we're just going to chill and let them score five. So <laughs> I I think, like, I would be curious if someone had better insight on that if it's related to fitness, but it's sort of been that way for them. It's like they go all out or they get their ass kicked. Um, so actually, currently in 14th place Southampton in – 13th place is Wolves, and in 12th place is Leeds. So you were generally really close. Southampton is the big drop from what we had. They've only won twice since uh, we left off. They got Minabino from Liverpool in the winter, and he had a pretty hot start for them. He looked really good. I think issues for them... Defenses look shaky. Alex McCarthy has been their goalkeeper and he's just been straight up bad in a lot of games. Mm. Um, they lost a game to Manchester United, I believe nine to nothing. So uh, they've been conceding goals. And then Shea Adams and Danny, Danny Ings are really solid players, but you can't rely on them week in and week out to produce. And I think some people have also pointed at like issues of fatigue and, and squad health just. Like, yeah, how how are they able to play that intense sort of style that Ralph wants them to play? And we've talked about that too before, but they've really, really fallen off. Probably, I think of the of the teams in the list, they've had the the biggest drop because back when we had been talking about them, they were in a, a radically different place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense, and I, I kind of I find it interesting that that's a that's a theme. The overwork. <laughs> this is the overworked part of the table in a way.
0: So sitting above that, so we just went up to uh, 12th place. So we're going to go 11-10-9. So last off where we left was Wolves in 11th, West Ham in 10th, and Aston Villa in 9th. So we had already you, you already mentioned that Wolves have dropped off. I, I, I should have pointed out with them, they, they've been okay. Their main issue is they just don't really have a real striker. Uh, after Raul Jimenez went down against Arsenal, he had a really bad brain injury. We talked about that. Fractured skull.
1: I remember that. Uh, that was insane.
0: But w- without him there, they, they've really struggled. They've tried to play this young kid, Fabio Silva, who's who's got some juice but is is still young and really raw. So goal scoring has been an issue for them. But again, where we were uh, back in December, 11th, 10th, and 9th, Wolves, West Ham, Aston Villa.
1: Okay. Well, this is a good question. Um, given Southampton's drop, um, I this is a this is a this is where things start to get dicey. Okay, so I don't think I don't think that I don't think that the hard one for me is Aston Villa. I don't know whether to take mm-hmm. them up or down. Or keep them where they are. Um, I think that they were playing pretty hot. Part of me just wonders... Because now I'm thinking about the top... Honestly, now I'm thinking about top four and whether they were stealing wins up there. Because they've also been struggling up top. um, Right? I mean, Liverpool has continued to have injury issues. Chelsea is going through a new coach. Um, which I don't think has been bad, but it's certainly it's going to be a transition. Um, Manchester United, I hate. I mean, they're okay. Um, and <laughs> Everton, I mean, I don't know about Everton's And Liverpool, I mean, they, yeah, right? Leicester's Lesser, one I'm, I'm actually curious to find out what happened with them. I, I, I think what I want to say is that um, I want to keep Wolves, um, but I want to dr- I, I go Wolves, um, Arsenal. West Ham.
0: Interesting position choices. Uh, You got one of them dead on. Arsenal is sitting in 10th. Let's go. Um, Let's go. Which I I, got to back my boys up a little bit. Um, I think if you just heard that they were sitting in 10th, you'd think that they've kind of underwhelmed. They've won eight. They've drawn three and they've lost three. I think there are only two other teams that have won more games than them in this stretch of time. So uh, in this stretch, they also beat Spurs and they beat Chelsea. They've had some kind of dumb losses, as you would expect, some dumb red cards, some dumb individual errors. They have the most errors leading to goals of any team in the league. Not a great record to hold, Um, but... They have been much better. They had this big game against West Brom that I think that they won 4-0. Snow game. Sick Mm. snow game. Um, And that was really kind of a turning point for them this year. So they're trending up, I would say. Um, The the next team that you had, you had uh, above them in ninth. You had West Ham. Actually, at this point, Aston Villa is still sitting in ninth. So Aston Villa is the team that's Mm -hmm. right above Arsenal. Uh, they're actually level on points, but Aston Villa has a game in hand. So, um,
1: mm. Oh, I guess the, the, Wolves again, but Wolves isn't... Well, we just did Wolves, right? Right. The Wolves had dropped I, down. Yeah. Dro- Wolves dropped down. So it's got to be somebody else. Um, yes.
0: So mm. in 11th place, that's the missing team right now. you got 9th, you've got Aston Villa. 10th, yeah. you've got Arsenal. Sitting just below them oh, is someone else.
1: Oh, God. All right. Um... I'm going to go... I'm either going to go Everton or Spurs. Um, I'm going to go Spurs.
0: Uh, We're going to get to Spurs shortly. But actually, currently sitting in 11th place is Crystal Palace, which I think you may have just forgotten because they're extremely forgettable the way that they play soccer.
1: Um, <laughs> I did. Forget. I, I, I thought they were trash earlier. And then I just literally didn't change my mind when you told me I was wrong. <laughs> I was like, no, they're still down below. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay.
0: They're, so they're four points off Arsenal and 10th, but Arsenal mm-hmm. has a game in hand on them. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I think they're, they're starting to get to be a little bit of space between the bottom 10 and the top 10. Um, and even as the table has been really tight and competitive, mm-hmm. Crystal Palace also lost Wilfred Zaha for some time. I don't know. I don't remember if he's still out, but he's been injured. So it's been, they've been really flat. I will say to, to their credit, like credit where credit is due, they're getting the results that they need to, to stay up. And to consistently stay up in the Premier League for like a mid-table club like that, that's, that's an accomplishment. So, um, and they also have... Eze, who we've talked about before, who's a really great young talent. He'll be a great asset for the club moving forward. But, um, yeah, but they're currently sitting in 11th. So, listener, I think we're going to take a real quick break, and when we come back, we will finish with the last nine teams. Welcome back, listener. We're going to go now to... Our historical table from the end of 2020 where we were Uh, we're going our way back up the table so we're going to do eight seven six Mm. so when we left off manchester city was in eighth place southampton was in seventh and spurs was in 6th we we've already mentioned how southampton has dropped out a real fall from grace but i'm curious rodrigo uh who do you think is in those spots six seven and eight currently
1: six seven eight you know I think the biggest thing is I just took like a completely unwarranted shot, and not that unwarranted, at Tottenham um, by just putting them <laughs> in like eleventh for a second earlier. Um, I, don't, so I don't. I don't hate it. So I don't know that I that I can really keep them out of this bit here. I mean, this is. I mean, now we've got actual territory. I think, I think I've got eight, seven, six. I've got. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go West Ham, Everton, Tottenham.
0: So, West Ham in eighth? Yes. West Ham in eighth, Everton in seventh, Tottenham in sixth. Yeah. So, uh, you got Everton exactly right. Everton are sitting right now in seventh place. They've had a couple of injuries. Story the same for a lot of teams. James and Dominic Calvert-Lewin missed some time. The big thing for Everton that you missed was they beat Liverpool for the first time at Anfield since 1999. So oh,
1: shit.
0: a massive, massive win for them. Very emotional. Um, oh, and they're not like,
1: so
0: they're not out of the mix. Like I would say like they're, they're a team that's, that's knocking on the door of, of in champions. The mixer. Of
1: oh boy.
0: Um, oh boy. That's exciting. They're currently in seventh. You said West Brom or West Ham in eighth. Tottenham is actually in eighth right now. Uh, mm. Not West Ham.
1: Wow. So I gone with my gut earlier. Ugh
0: you were you were right to to sort of knock them down there they've won six drawn two, and lost six uh there was this like big blip where gareth bale looked really good against burnley he had a really good game he had a couple good europa league games uh but they he just hasn't really manifested to be the, the the like spark that we thought i think both of us really thought he would be a huge force for them and That hasn't really showed up. Um, I think they have some issues at center back. We'll maybe talk about that a little later when we talk about North London Derby. But they have been trending down from when we last talked.
1: Um, Yeah.
0: And then in sixth place, currently is Liverpool.
1: Oh my goodness! Uh, There
0: is there is much that has happened uh, at Anfield. Yeah.
1: The main thing is (laughs) that they time...
0: They've lost a lot. So Liverpool has four wins, three draws, and eight losses. Uh, the, the big sort of narrative around the team is that they haven't really had a consistent center back. They've had a lot of injuries at center back. They've been playing like random midfielders. Jordan Henderson has played at center back because they haven't had anyone. Uh, I think they got this guy Kabak... I don't know how to say his name. He's a Turkish center back who looks like he'll be a good added Uh, piece.
1: Kind of heard something about that. Yeah, I remember that.
0: But I would also point out in this stretch of 17 games, they've only scored nine goals, which is so hard for me to get my head around when you have Mo Salah, Roberto Firmino, and Sadio Mane as your front three. And those guys have been playing. It's not like they have not been playing. So uh, I think a lot of the attention is on the back line and of course like your back line's broken you're going to struggle but there's also been issues in you know getting service from the midfield moving up so I I don't want to say like Salah or the front line has been bad Salah has a golden boot right now like he's 17 goals this season he's still an amazing player but I think you see when you damage the back line there's there's damage that kind of ripples all the way up so um really really rough rough go for them
1: yeah that makes sense i mean that way it makes sense i i feel like i feel like it's also a little like i I, maybe i'm over narrating it but it feels a little bit to me kind of like the way that it happened was rough too like in a way it's almost better when you have kind of like a, a very difficult challenge that you hits you all at once and then you can kind of like make a narrative about bouncing back. So, you know, like, well, you know, it's fine. We'll just score a lot of goals and make it happen. But it seems like with Liverpool, it's the the posture that they had as things happened was very, like, oh, man, like, again and again and, oh, no, again. And, like, it was real, no doubt. But that kind of narrative is really hard to, like, you know, it's hard to stay motivated, you know, because it feels uh, a little futile, I think. Um, So I think it's been a difficult... It feels like a difficult season for them because it's been such a consistent um, like gradual falling apart um, for for them. and that's I think I think morale wise is difficult to get up get around and I'm not gonna say that morale is the reason you don't score goals, but sometimes it, it plays a pretty big role. so curious if that was a part of it as well, but tough to see them so low.
0: yeah, i I kind of feel the same way. I like, they're not, like, a rival to Arsenal in the same way that Manchester United or Tottenham is. But I would say that I haven't necessarily been rooting for Liverpool. But watching their, like, big-time collapse definitely has sort of bummed me out. I like to see them, you know, really competing. They're still in a European spot and probably will finish in the top four, knowing Klopp and and, and the way he, he runs that team. But um, definitely, like, they were in first so when we left off. So right. now we're getting into the real uh, sort of big, big, big questions here, um, big decisions for you. So we're going to look at 5, 4, and 3. So when we left off, Chelsea was in 5th, Everton... You know what? In th-
1: Let's do 5 and 4 and leave the top three. Beautiful. We'll you do 5 and 4. Because uh, that's, that's honestly the spiciest. Oh, five and 4. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> so 5 and 4 was 5th, ch- um. Chelsea, and 4th, Everton. And you already know Everton has dropped down. Everton now in seventh.
1: Right. So
0: fifth and fourth, what are you thinking?
1: Okay, fifth and fourth. All right, so if that's the case, then we've got, right, Liverpool's out. Okay, okay. And Tottenham is out, Uh, right, because we just said it was Everton, Liverpool, and Tottenham. Right. So I got to put, I'm going to put, Manchester United and West Ham. And Manchester I want to U- go, go West Ham, then Manchester United. So, fifth, West Ham, fourth, Manchester United.
0: Tell me more about Manchester United. I'm curious about your your read on them being in fourth um, place at this point.
1: I'm surprised that they're this high. Um, you know, like, I, I know I have my bias because, like, this is how I think of it. I'll tell you it this way. I have a very strong bias against Manchester United. I just don't like them as a team. It's one of the few things about teams as a team that I don't like. Like, usually when I watch soccer, I just think about who the coaches are and who the players are and what I do or don't like about them. And, and so I'm, I'm down to be behind a lot of teams. But uh, so I don't get all caught up in like, well, you know, my team has to be the best because, you know, they have a different coach now. So like, ugh, whatever, like I don't like this coach. Um but when I think about Manchester United, I just actually don't like them. But the way I've been thinking about it is that it's just so convenient that I don't like them, and I also think that they don't play good soccer. So, I I was really riding that high in the beginning of the season. Now I'm apt to parse apart in my own mind. You know how much of that was me just being happy that they were bad and being a little overly, you know. Uh, maybe a little bit too critical. But now I, I think I think my read on them was that they struggled to have leadership. I never felt like their coach was a good coach in that way. I, I, I usually would point to the fact that I didn't think the soccer had a lot of identity like their style of play. So by extension, I was like, that's an an example of where there's missing leadership. But I just didn't think his personality was there either. I I don't know him that well or anything, but I, I just never felt like he had a grip. And I thought that the team was fractured in that way, that you had people who were making decisions because they felt like the boss of their own world at least, and there was a lot of difficulty to have cohesion. And that's why they had some losses that were just such gaff heavy losses. And I was like... I don't think I see someone growing into a leadership role on that team anytime soon. So I expected them to continue to kind of drift with some successes here and there when either they were playing a brand name opponent that was big enough that they'd play defensive. And and when you have a team trying to play conservative, it's a lot easier to play as a group, let me put it that way. Um, And I thought they might sneak away some wins when, you know, Rashford or somebody like was able to put away a goal. Um, but to see them as high makes me feel like they must have figured something out because I think it would revolve a little more consistency than I would even anticipate from their skill. So um, if I had to guess why they're here, I would say that uh, I would I would say that either someone like Pogba stepped up and became like a leader uh, and they started to win some games around. Uh, just essentially respecting one person more than they respect you know than they respect themselves. So they. They, they do what they need to get done, or um, that there was some more cohesion, right? Because if you play long enough with other players, you're just bound to build a little more chemistry, and the one thing that was nice to Manchester United is that there wasn't a lot of questions, from what I could see, about starting eleven. Chelsea, for example, you know, people are always in the bubble, mm-hmm. but with them, it's like, well, you know, we've only got our guys, so... You know, it's not a big, very large rotation, which I think was a good way to just say, well, you know, they're going to build something there if they continue to play together in a somewhat, you know, con- coherent, or not coherent, consistent structure. So that, I, I'm looking for those reasons when I think about where they're, where they're coming from.
0: I, we'll, we'll be talking about them shortly. I really loved your analysis of kind of like where you could see that team going wrong and i think you hit on a bunch of the things that i was going to mention anyway um but they're actually not in either of these positions Mm. in fifth you nailed it west ham is currently in fifth place
1: fucking west ham let's go they
0: they're three points behind chelsea in fourth Mm. and west Mm. ham have a game in hand so uh west ham if they win their next game they could draw a level on points but be behind in goal differential with chelsea in fourth so they're in striking distance of a Champions League spot, the big thing for West Ham is they signed Jesse Lingard on loan from Manchester United, right. and right. he's actually been huge for them, which is crazy to say. Four goals in six games, he's like been like totally lighting them up. I think something it, like it's interesting when you were talking about leadership. You watch West Ham play now, and Declan Rice has always been a real leader. But he's really focused on the back half of their team, like on the defensive line, on the defensive Mm -hmm. midfield. And it's interesting, like Mikel Antonio is such a beast, but he's not like the most like vocal, like, come on, like let's let's go, boys. But Jesse Lingard has gotten there and is like, he's stepping up to take penalties, he's getting the boys fired up, he's dancing on the field, he's dabbing, he's doing his thing. And I think like that like it's weird to say, but Jesse Lingard has like continued the positive momentum that club has had. Chelsea. Yeah.
1: I just want uh, to make one note about that. Yeah, I please. feel like you know, it was going to be really difficult for him. I like I don't want to <laughs> baby Jesse Lingard, but it felt like that environment in Manchester United was a little bit toxic. It still feels totally that way to me, and I just don't see a guy like him working out because he doesn't he doesn't really have a very serious posture right and when you think about players it's people's personalities you know have a a relative impact on their on the way that they play like some people play the way that their personalities show some people have like almost the opposite right and every degree in between but it is always in reference to that that personality that's what i believe and Jesse's just not the kind of guy who—I see him as a guy who plays in a way that is kind of risk-heavy, but in a very, like, joyful way, right? Like, let's go. Like, let's just take the risk. And that was not going to go over, I thought. It's not the tenor of Manchester United at this point in their existence. and. I totally love to hear that he's making a leadership role there. It feels like he joined like the kind of quiet table. <laughs> I don't know, you know, and he's like, mm-hmm. he's not there. He's not doing well because he's cool. He's doing well because he's scoring goals and they, and they like that. Um, but, uh, but he, I think his personality would really work out well. I'm glad to hear that that worked out.
0: Me too. I, I like can't really feel any resentment towards West Ham. They're just like a team that I'm like, you know, Good for you guys. Like, blow some bubbles. Have a good time. (laughs)
1: Blow some bubbles. I love that they do that, but
0: 100%. Chelsea is in fourth, and the big thing for Chelsea is that they fired Fat Frank, RIP Fat Frank. So he got canned, and they brought in Tuchel, uh, and he uh, has been really solid for them. He's undefeated as their manager, I think, in all comps. So in the Premier League, they've won seven, lost three, and... Or, sorry, 1-7, drawn three, and lost five. But all five of those losses came under Frank Lampard. I think it's it's been interesting watching Chelsea play. The, 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 the things that have stood out to me, N'Golo Conte looks a lot better under Tuchel, and I'm not, like, I can't point to anything other than them playing five at the back, or three at the back, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think Conte has to do less of the defensive work pulling in to help the center backs. We sort of had talked about that in some games. And he just looks like reinvigorated in his role in midfield, which is great. And then, honestly, Mason Mount has been fantastic for them. I think Frank Lampard, for all the criticism he received, did a really good job in bringing Mason Mount up and, like, giving him a lot of minutes and really helping develop him, giving him a lot of trust. And it's, like, continued to pay off. Like, Tuchel is giving him a lot of time, and he's making the most of it. So, um, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they finish because the, the top is really tight right now. Um, so let's go to the top three. So there That's are here. three teams left. Um, when we left off, the top three was Liverpool, Leicester, and Manchester United. So Liverpool first, Leicester second. Manchester United in third. Liverpool has dropped out. We've already talked about them. Leicester and Manchester United still in the mix, and Man City also lingering around. So I'm curious what you think the current top three is, Rodrigo.
1: I see. So well, our last three, right, If I'm doing the math correctly here, I've got I've only got Leicester, Man City, and Manchester United left. Um, I'm gonna go with Man Manchester City in first. Um, Leicester in second and and Manchester United in third and I do want to say that I knew that Manchester City was in first because that you know that's news that would be hard for me to avoid even if I even if I am not watching the game so I knew that um, but the other two I I, I don't know so um, yeah that's that's where I'll go.
0: What's your distinction between Leicester and United? I'm curious
1: why uh, you put them where you did. Yeah, well, like I said, I. I'm not sure hundred percent what Manchester United has been doing right. I have some guesses, um, possible guesses, but when it comes to Leicester, if they're that high in the table, then my feeling is that the machine continues to run. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's kind of how I think of it, uh, because they're kind of they're kind of machine-like. I think in the way that they perform. So if they're having if they're having their way and the machine is running, then and they're that then they're, then they're then they're gonna be as high as they could be. I if I hadn't known that Manchester City was in first, like, if that wasn't just super popular news, I think I would have had a harder time deciding whether they were in first or second because, like I said, I think of them in a very machine-like way. Um, So if they're up in the top three, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, to see them at the top. I think of them as a very—a team that can be very consistent because the people that they rely on to do their jobs are put in the same jobs almost every time, Mm-hmm. And they're very good at their craft. Like Vardy is built to do what he does. Um, Harvey Barnes is built to do what he does. Um, so, you know, I I just that's why I, I have a lot of you know confidence in yeah. them. Yeah, despite yeah. the fact that it's fragile, right? If if the machine doesn't work, then the machine doesn't work. <laughs> you know, like if 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 Vardy gets hurt, um, you know, for a long stretch, or the players for whatever reason aren't able to play, then that's a That's a problem.
0: I actually want to maybe start with Lester here Mm because you were just talking about them. They're currently sitting in third. Mm -hmm. Um, In this time span, they've had eight wins, four draws, three losses. Yeah. And it's interesting how you were highlighting the machine. And I think both of us were skeptical that Lester would be able to continue on without some key players. Like, injury could be a real risk for this team. And Vardy, Harvey Barnes and Madison have missed significant game time in this stretch. The impressive thing is that Lester has been able to continue to do really well. Uh, they're comfortably sitting in a European spot. And um, I, I think that's the thing that has maybe surprised me the most out of the top half of the table. Because mm-hmm. I was very short, Lester, it, for, for a lot of the reasons you articulated. Right. Um, if there's one clip that I would highlight to you and to our listener... Uh, from this yes. time i would check out the hi- the game highlights but then the post-game interview with ianacho um actually from the game on the 14th very emotional interview he scores a hat trick in the game it's mother's day in the uk and he's wishing a happy mother's day and you could tell he's very emotional and I looked it up later Ian Nacho had lost his own mother at age 14 so very young age and for him, like he, he talks a little bit about it, but it's just great to see a player and like an emotional day for them, emotional moment, really having that great, positive experience. And, and he had a hard run of form. So um, huge for him and, and huge win for Leicester. Amazing. Um, I then want to go, I guess, to Man City because you already knew that they were up in first. So um, Manchester City, since we left off, they have won 16 games and they have lost one. Uh, the only loss that they had in that stretch of time was to Manchester United, and it was exactly what you talked about. Manchester United sat back, let Man City walk into them, and then just scored two stupid goals. Um,
1: Uh, That's the way to do it. I've been saying it forever, that that that's how they should play. And part of the reason is because I didn't think that they could do something more creative than that. Like, it's just so much easier to play cooperatively when you're playing the counter, you know, that it makes sense that if you can take people who don't have a lot of clear structure guiding their performance than just you know sit back and make it like hey let's go over there as fast as we can when we get the ball. Um
0: Manchester City also though in this span of time I think the 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 piece that is maybe a little surprising, they've conceded seven goals in 17 league games. Their center backs have been John Stones and Ruben Diaz. Ruben Diaz is new this year. He's been exceptional John stones was like a meme player. He's like Phil Jones and some past teams, some past game experience. Like he was so bad. And now he's part of like the best center back pairing, like maybe in all five leagues. Like that doesn't seem ridiculous to say, um, they've been excellent at the back. So yeah, credit to Pep Guardiola. When you have like a $1 trillion squad, you can win a lot of games. Um, Manchester United is sitting in, in, in second place currently. They were in first for a little while, which was hilarious because they were all celebrating like they won the title. And now they're like, it, it's very clear Manchester City is going to win the title barring like a complete collapse. Um, you, you, you really nailed it when you were talking about like what United is like. Their, their whole thing has been they just rely on moments of individual brilliance from Rashford, from Pogba or from Bruno, and they've got it to get them results when they've needed to. Um, they only have one loss in this time, but they also have seven draws. And so I think that's been the other big thing for them is lots of drop points from games that in the beginning of the season were going their way, like they would eke out a one-goal win, yeah. and now this time they're turning into draws. So uh, I, I think when I think about them and like the totality of the time off that we've had, I don't really get any sense of tactics from Ole. And my main criticism with them is in the midfield and the way they structure their midfield. They play tons of Fred and McTominay because their center backs are bad, so they have to have two defensive midfielders to cover them. And then they don't play Donny Van de Beek at all. So unfortunately for both of us, because we're fans of his, he's played 332 minutes this season in the Premier League. McGuire has played the most. McGuire's played 2,610. So Donny has like barely seen the pitch, and I I think it's just that he's a creative player. He's a player who's going to do a lot of quick thinking, passing, and movement. And honestly, part of me just feels like the rest of the midfield just can't like isn't isn't at speed to do that outside of Bruno. So Ole like leaves him on the bench. He's just such an an off fit. For the way that Ole is trying to structure the team, and I, I, yeah, it's if I were a Manchester United fan, it's weird to say like they're in second, like that's a, a really good place to be. But I would feel frustrated because I would feel like this is a season we could have gotten more out of had we been a little more clinical and tactical, and like talking, talking through a lot of the tactics that we've talked about in many episodes in criticizing Ole. But
1: um, I, 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 I like I, I want to be. I want to be clear that if so, given everything you said, it's very interesting to hear all of this. And I think one, a couple things I want to just, just respond to. One, well, one. Let's take Donnie right at the top. Donnie's great. I love the guy. He hasn't gotten the minutes to play. Where should he really be? Right, like what team where he would where he could do really really well. Um, I think that you know, I know this wouldn't be like glory filled, but can you imagine if you had Donnie Vandebeek on Leicester? He would be great. I think of him as having the potential to be kind of Harvey Barnes-esque. Um, and I think he would be a really interesting addition to a team. Like I said, that kind of works like the machine. It would be kind of, to me, it would feel like adding like a whole new little t- tool to this very large machine um, that it didn't have before. I feel like he would do really well. Now, it's, it's a totally weird pick, I think, culturally and everything for him to see him leave Manchester United, for him to go to a team like Leicester. I don't see that happening. But... I really do think that a team like that would be a place, great place for him to get a, a foot in the door because he could just be himself and be an asset um, without having, you know, mm. to, and he could easily be a part of threading passes to the people who are already big performance getters for a team like that. So my instinct is, like, put him there. Um, but I, I'm not surprised at all about the individual performances being the key to their success. Uh, I think, you know, it's definitely possible with players like the ones they have. But if I have to rest this failure on anyone, I rest it on Ole. I do. Me because a, a coach, a coach's job, right, I think in many, many ways when it comes to the actual playing of soccer, right, when it gets to being on the field, is to create a cohesive identity for the team that one way or another, all of the players get invested in being a part of. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to be successful no matter how smart you are or how much soccer you played, or how many goals you scored. If you can't do that, then you're just not going to do a good job. Now, granted, even if you can do that, you might have some bad ideas. <laughs> and then your team's going to be trying to play a way that's not going to really work, right? That can happen too. I'm not going to say go so far as to say that that's what Ole's doing, but he has not been able to create that identity, and by, and by extension, that direction for a team that has talent. Um, I think he's getting chiefed by people on that team who are just socially speaking – uh, juggernauts relative to him, and he, mm-hmm. you can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, think it's really his fault. Now, granted, we're talking all this shit in there in second, but like honestly, the, again, I don't care so much about what team I'm rooting for. It depends on who the players on the team are, and and uh, and who the coaches and how that's all working out. By extension, I also could could care less whether they're first or second, um, because to me, if they want to go ahead and snag second, keep Ole there and watch that team continue to sit. On players, uh, per individual performances as they get older and and can no longer do that, then by all means, continue as you were.
0: Yeah, it's not. It's. It, it, I think that's exactly right. It's not a sustainable structure, culture, model to be building out. I'd also add in maybe coloring also the negativity towards them. They had a pretty disastrous exit from the Champions League. They got bumped into Europa in like very shocking fashion and then additionally they, they they had a pretty tough game against ac milan where they gave up an away goal against an ac milan team that was missing a lot of their their best players due to injury so there's been some some other kind of not so great stuff happening outside of the league that i think yeah. is additionally like coloring coloring my view um the one thing when you were talking about ole he had a quote recently where he said i'm not a coach i'm a man manager that's was was his answer when someone was talking about coaching tactics and i was like man i have to share that with rodrigo because i feel like it would piss him off because i guess in my mind when when i think about the coaches that who who i really like like sir alex ferguson uh arson wenger um You know, you could even say, like, I'm really coming around to Mikel Arteta because I think all of those coaches really try to embrace both of those things, both of those roles. Like, I'm a tactical coach and I'm also the man-manager. Like, it's my job to instill, like, a tactical identity and structure and style into my players in my coaching. But then I'm also going to be man-managing and, and, you know, helping to figure out the, the personalities of superstar soccer players And getting the best out of them and getting the best out of the team as a collective unit and to hear ole just sort of like write off one component of what i thought was his job was surprising to me but then it also i think speaks to the really long leash that he has from the manchester board and and manchester united fans i guess because if 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 that was a coach at a different club i feel like there would be a lot more outrage
1: Absolutely. I mean, I have so many things to say about that, um, but I'll try to keep it concise. I think right off right off the top of my head, the first thing I think is t- telling somebody that you're just a man manager it sounds like you're a babysitter. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to be. It sounds like you're there to make sure that everybody shows up to the things that they're supposed to and everybody goes home at the end of the day and, and that's, that's all, right? It's like make sure that nobody – Gets too angry at anybody else. And, you know, that is like a. I think that's reason, a very reasonable way to not really make anybody upset with you. But at a certain point, it's your responsibility to try to lead the ship to victory, right? So if you say, hey, you know, I'm the captain, so I get to decide where we go. But, you know, I'm more of like, a, you know, I don't know, like, I'm more of a therapist to the crew. Well, at some point, someone's going to be like, hey, where's the ship going? And the room's going to be like, I don't know. And he's going to be like, ah, I've just been you know, giving you guys back rubs. Aren't we feeling great? And it's like, well, you got to get out of here because we need someone who calls shots, right? That That's, like, absurd. Like, that's just such a short, short-sighted way to even describe yourself or the role of a coach. But second, it is important to be somebody who has relationships with players, whatever that relationship looks like. Agreed. Because if you think that you can create an identity for the team – just because you're so smart or you have all the you know the best ideas these are all people who have come from very very different places in the world and have done quite a bit on their own so you have to have a relationship with them that allows you to bring new ideas into their into their framework into their vision of the game and that's not something that happens in a completely unemotional plane right so i understand the value in that but to talk about it like that's just the sole purpose of his job is like it's painful to hear you know i i get really fired up about coaches that on the one hand do all of that but then by by uh, you know in another dimension they look to develop talent they look to develop structures that create consistency mm. from year to year that's when i'm like this is a coach that i want to learn about like i want to read about want to emulate um whatever their their vision for the game of soccer is at least they have invested in creating a uh, something to 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 give it real life and consistency, uh, and I think that's the best thing for the sport is to have those kinds of, those kinds of approaches that are deeply ingrained in youth and bringing up players. But you know, do not. So when you think about it that way, I'm hearing this guy say, "Oh, I just like to you know pet egos until you know we win a game." I just this like, like honestly, so honestly, I'm I'm just happy that it's Manchester United. Um, <laughs> so. Uh yeah, that's 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 all I have to say for now, at least about about Ole.
0: Listener, we are so back right now. We are back to hating on Manchester United. Yeah, I we, know you missed I it. it. We we both needed it. Uh <laughs> listener, we're going to take a quick break and then we will uh be right back with one more segment for you, a little surprise. All right, welcome back, listener. We can't help ourselves. I can't help myself. We have to talk about the North London Derby. Rodrigo mentioned at the top of the show, we both watch that game. We actually watch that game via Zoom together, which was a lot of fun. Um, With our boy Trevor as well. Shout out Trevor, uh, big Spurs supporter. Uh, An amazing win for Arsenal. uh, Quality dub. I'm going to just, I guess, go through my view on the game And then we were going to talk about a couple of like more specific moments and and players and uh, yeah, kind of go back and forth on a couple of things. So I guess I wanted to start with Tottenham. I, when I saw the Tottenham lineup, I thought, wow, Spurs are like really going to go for it. They're starting Kane, Son, Lucas Moura and Gareth Bale. Like that's a really strong attacking foursome there. And uh, that just was not borne out in the way that the game was played at all. Uh, Spurs really from the beginning of the game but especially after Sun came out which I will say to Jose Mourinho's credit you know Sun gets hurt maybe that really throws your whole game plan off Um, I can give him the benefit of the doubt on that but even with him out you know you bring on Lamella who's a, a solid attacking player we're going to talk about him a little bit later he's still decent he's not Sun but he's still a decent attacking player Um, I just thought Spurs looked extremely disorganized in the midfield. Partey was running all over Hoybier in this game. And I don't necessarily want to fault Hoybier, but I feel like Gareth Bale just does not drop back and defend. He's not someone who's going to come back and be able to do that defensive help. So the midfield is is weaker. There's less protection in the midfield. They're stretched thinner. And then behind Gareth Bale on that side, Spurs lined up with Matt Doherty, which was like... The most ridiculous selection Jose could have made Um, so the right side for Spurs was so defensively weak it just made their whole midfield look off really imbalanced and really having a hard time controlling the flow of the game and uh, I think Arsenal dominated once the game really started getting going Um, I think that was true for the whole game until really the red card and after the red card uh, Lamella gets a red late in the second half and Arsenal, for some reason, we bring on Willian and we brought on El Nedi and took out Lacazette. And I think then Spurs really started to look like the team that I thought they were going to be. They were attacking a lot, throwing everything forward. You know, it's late in the game. The team is down, but Arsenal really looks like they were going to try to give that game away. I was losing my mind in the last 15 minutes because Spurs are attacking and Arsenal is just like trying as hard as they can to make a mistake. And I felt like Mourinho just forgot that about Arsenal in this game. Like, you play this team and you pressure them between Chaka and David Luiz, someone is going to make a mistake at some point. And someone is going to make a mistake in front of goal and you're going to be able to capitalize. And I, I just felt like the, the tactics from Jose just seemed a little confused and it didn't really seem like he was giving his team the edge to really like, push up and attack. Um, I, like I said at the top, I think this is a really quality win for Arsenal. Um, it, it, it's necessary for the squad. It's really big for Arteta, and there were some really quality performances for Arsenal. Kieran Tierney was absolutely massive on the left-hand side um, in defense, and Emil Smith-Rowe and Martin Odegaard were phenomenal um in in attacking midfield positions for arsenal which has been a source of real like weakness in the squad but those two guys have really stepped up in the past couple months and then they sh- were shining stars in this game so i was over the moon of course um but yeah it just it, it, to me it felt like kind of a weird game from jose a weird game from spurs and i think you play this game you know 10 times i think spurs probably win this game with a healthy Sun six or seven of those times like this is not a result that i would have anticipated but the the tactics and the selection of Darty, i think really i don't know it it threw it off for them it seemed like what what was your overall view what do you think
1: yeah um i i think i think i just want to highlight maybe some of the things that you said um with the slightly maybe you know with, with some added pieces that i was thinking about so like one, I feel like um, I do feel like Arsenal looked so much better than I last saw them, and that was probably most true when I saw their the way they were playing with Odegaard, um, and then uh, Smith Rowe and and uh, uh, Bukayo Saka. I, I feel like that group up top. Was like a breath, a breath of fresh air from mm. in comparison to what I had seen them play before. Um, I know that there was this whole thing about Obama not not starting, and I, I don't. In the end, I don't think that was a, a big highlight for me because that 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 top three I thought was bringing some life to the game, especially the way they pressed the ball um, when it was coming up. They actually did a pretty good job. Of, 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 of making play predictable for, for, for the team behind them. Like, they didn't win the ball a ton of times, but I thought they did a great job of, especially Odegaard, he did a great job of every time you, you watch him approach the ball in that, in that game, he is giving direction as to which direction this ball is going. And it seems small and maybe it's maybe it's a little subtle, but I think that it was a big deal the way that they approached defense as well, because it didn't necessarily solve the problem of defending the ball for them entirely. But it gave them a little bit of a little bit of an edge that sometimes I feel like they don't have that that cohesion to defend. Um, and I, I love that up top. I think Odegaard is a great fit for Arsenal. I didn't really even know him that well uh, before this game um so it was kind of my first time seeing him but right away i was like this player seems good or at the very least you know he's a good fit for what he's doing right now um so i thought that that looked really quite good um later when we subbed on um pepe first i think and then and then and then later who who's who the first actually who was their first it goes
0: pepe came on for Sokka. Willian came on for Smith Rowe yeah. and then El Nenny came on for Lacazette. Willian
1: was a real problem. He did not replace what we had before he came onto the field. And mm-hmm. that to me was like a big that was essentially felt like going a man down. Um I think in a way he almost entices other players to like get involved in things they shouldn't be. (laughs) Um, and by extension, of creates big mistakes when he makes even small ones because he's dragged people out of position or dribbled into dangerous space. And like, that's just not, it's not good. Um, I think Pepe was actually okay. Um, he, if you remember, he's the guy who actually sent the ball for that, that I'm sure that, that play that we'll talk about that led to a penalty kick. Um, that 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 was his ball. It was actually a very nice ball. He cut inside, hit on the mm-hmm. left with his with his left, I think, on in into the space. If I remember correctly, you're 100 um, percent right. Yeah, and I think that I think that he was actually okay. He's just a different player. Uh, he doesn't bring the same, I think, chemistry that that the other three have, at least that I saw. Um, but he was okay. Uh, I think that I think the thing about Spurs is that. I, I this, this is this is my this is my feeling about about Jose. This is a big big Jose big Jose analysis moment. I think Jose is right. He's well known because he took a team of pretty much unknown people in a lot of ways um, on a team that was now expected to win the Champions League when they won it ever really, and he won it right there. He won it with Porto, right? Isn't that correct? He won Champions League with Porto. Yeah. So he takes his guys right, and if you watched like um there's different things about his his time there but if you see what he does there is he takes all these guys who are like from porto like or whatever he takes them like from the fucking area where this team is and he builds a team out of them and he does it in part his psychological game there is that he wants the fans to have a real impact on his players Right? His players, if they hear that the, the fans getting fired up, they get fired up because they like they live in this place where these people are from. And he builds this whole kind of identity around taking players that are willing to go the distance because this is something like in their hearts. And he's the kind of coach that with some players, he also creates that relationship with them. And so he, by extension, he's very good once he has them in that place. Tottenham... ...does not live in that pocket. (laughs) They just don't. They're willing to do what he says to do... ...and it's definitely working out for them to a certain extent... ...but they don't feel it the way that he needs them to feel it... ...in order to produce. Right? He has a big ego... But at the end of the day, it's about your relationship with your players, right? And when he gets that kind of relationship with his players, they'll do what he says, even though it's a little bit, you know, maybe a little boring or a little bit stagnant at times, and they will do it with vigor. And it's very successful when done that way. Um, But this team I just don't think is that. And and, and getting Bale... I think, in addition to that, really doesn't have that vibe. He doesn't have that, like, this is in my heart, kind of, I'm going to grind it out vibe, I don't think. Because he was just spending a bunch of time not playing for a big team somewhere. Like, that takes a little bit out of your flame. You know, it takes a little bit out of your, your I'm going to make this game, you know, like, you know, I'm going to dominate. But in this way that the coach wants me to, right? Because it's not it's not the same kind of, like, go out there and just attack, attack, attack. It's It's very, very smart play. And that's not always the most fired up, you know, I think posture for a team to play in. Um, And I think that this game is kind of in a way shows you that. I think Sun coming out early, yeah, like that's a huge hurt because I think Sun's the kind of guy that operates in a space where maybe he doesn't ride the emotional train, but he's very, very good at finishing. (laughs) And that's just like his job and he does his job well. So, you know, if you're putting him in a position to score, he's going to do it. So that's a huge hit for them, right? but a lot but after that i think that's the challenge that you face with that with the rest of the players they just don't i don't think they resonate with what he's trying to get out of them and that makes it a little bit less impact like he, they have a little less of the edge that they need when they need it that that's how i feel sometimes about the team um i i do think though that a part of where you can see this is the red card once a guy gets thrown off the field right they're like, well, all right, fuck it. We're just going to play. Like, We're not expected to win. I mean, We just got to throw everything at it. And they looked way more intense. By extension, Arsenal also looked way weaker, I think, because they put Willian on the field. He was sucking some oxygen out of the left side. Um, but I do think that they looked better. And I think it was because they just played without this constraint, without this – you know what I mean? Um, this trying to fit into something that maybe doesn't always feel right. Um, and they looked more dominant, and it looked like scary. And then you know, Harry Kane hits that post, <laughs> that was like a heart stopping <laughs> moment in that game. Um, and you know, they don't quite they don't quite close up with a tie, uh, with a draw rather. Um, but, I, th- yeah, you know, I I think,
0: think w- sorry, what see. what you were saying is kind of the way I view Jose as well, and it is part of the reason why I was so surprised that Matt Darty started this game and not Serge Aurier. Because right. I've I i always viewed Aurier as, like, a Mourinho kind of player because, you know, he, he might not be the most skilled. I think he's a really good right back. But the thing about him that you can't ever take away is, like, that dude has passion, he's got energy, he comes on, and he's just, like, it's fired up. And he's especially fired up in this game. Like, as an Arsenal supporter, when I see him on the field, I'm like, I know that guy is going to tackle hard. I know that guy is going to defend hard. Like, he's going to attack. Like... That's that's an aggressive player who really is he's got that big game kind of mentality, and I, I I feel like talking about like mentality and like passion and stuff like that kind of gets ridiculed sometimes for being you know too reductionist and like these are yeah. professional athletes they have but I get like I do get it and I do think it like it matters like on the flip side of this I've viewed Arsenal in the past few years as being like really tepid sometimes and really like. Not having that energy and that kind of character, and I think you bring in someone like Kieran Tierney who just is like he there's a quote from him in this game someone clipped it where he's like so many chances how have we not scored because he's crossing so many balls in the box and he's just pissed and he's like
1: yeah. like
0: come on like let's let's yep. let's get it going and I feel like yeah Spurs lack the that until the until the late. Pieces
1: for this this whole thing this whole conversation for me and in a way it's the thesis for the episode is mental health matters. Just does. Hmm. Like, people constantly wanna pretend that like, you know, if you're a professional athlete, you know, yeah, like it's what's funny. They'll describe certain things as an affect of your personality when they're like kind of like glorious or fiery or like anger, right? They'll then they'll make it about your personality. But when we talk about underperforming, we rarely talk about how they're feeling as a part of the reason why they're not having their best performance. And the thing is, I have realized this more and more as I coach kids um, because what I've realized is that the things that my kids do and the things that my older players will do, they look different, but they are so clearly similar, right? It's just a more refined version of it, right? Or it has a little bit more, they will, my older players have a little bit more, uh, you know, um, what do you call that? Uh, like long, like they're able to handle it a little bit longer, but they still feel and and have the same attachment to their feelings when they perform. And that's how I feel about coaching in general. And I don't think it's any different with professionals, especially when you think about how emotional the ride has been in their life to get where they are and how often they really had to rely on themselves more than anybody else to get there. It's very hard to trust other people with big, big decisions about how you should play when all your life you've been the consistent thing and the coaches and the teams and the leagues have been the things that have been changing. And when you put somebody in that that context, it's not hard to understand why when you don't have a leader in a coach when you're playing for their team, it can be hard to feel motivated to perform and it can also be just hard to perform at your best even when you, even when you're trying your hardest. And I just think that's a big part of playing, especially a game like soccer that's so dynamic Um, right where it's hard to, 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 to draw lines between somebody's, some people on their responsibilities or, you know, like the degrees of freedom between a successful shot and a missed one are so small sometimes and it's, everything is so chaotic. It's very hard to play well when you're not in an emotional space to engage with something so chaotic. Right. Um, I think that's something we should think more about honestly, when we think about how coaches relate to their players. And how, and how the timbre of like a team's culture affects their ability to perform. And I just want to bring out as a happy note to all of us, think about Jesse Lingard, mm-hmm. right? Think about Jesse. He's doing so, so well. It's clear that he's a place there. He's a lot happier, and I don't think those things are unrelated. Um, and I'm not so sure the causal arrow goes performance to happiness. I'm, I'm, I get a feeling it probably goes the other way.
0: I think that's such a good point for us to leave off on, listener. It's been such a joy to be back on the mic with you, Rodrigo. Listener, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and hopefully we will be back next week to talk more soccer, talk Premier League, and maybe sprinkle in a little of the Champions League. Thank you for listening as always.